I know it's really important as an entrepreneur to have a plan, something to follow. So I do have a loose like five-year plan, but I'm also really flexible and fluid and going with the time. Nicole Winhofer is a global fitness artist, health expert, and entrepreneur known for her creative workout philosophy that has played a leading role in shaping some of the strongest bodies in the entertainment industry. Nicole created the revolutionary NW Method, a total body wellness formula that transforms energy into strength through chakras and movement. NW Method is offered digitally via her app called NW Church that allows fans to work out anytime, anywhere. Born in New York City, Nicole's dance background allowed her to make her Broadway debut at the age of 17, performing in productions such as 42nd Street, Bombay Dreams, and Wicked. She danced and trained with icons, including Madonna, with whom she developed the Hard Candy Fitness brand and served as creative director of the Addicted to Sweat program. This catapulted Nicole onto the global stage and attracted a roster of popular celebrity clients, which include Jennifer Conley, Kate Hudson, Ellen Pompeo, Stella McCartney, Molly Sims, and Stephen Klein. She has partnered with global brands, including Adidas, Standard Hotels, Equinox, Pepsi, and NBTY's Pure Protein, just to name a few. Nicole also appeared on the national TV show E! Revenge Body with Khloe Kardashian, which featured NW Method and two 50-pound transformations. All right. Wow. Uh, Nicole, it is awesome to have you here. Really appreciate you joining me. And it's uh, amazing how much you've accomplished what you're up to. And I'm really excited to have the opportunity to get to hear your story today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm really excited to be on Gravity. Great. So as we have been uh, following the kind of format of, of the podcast... Um, we really want to hear your full story, your full journey before we hop into what you're up to now and where you're going. Why don't we kind of start at the beginning? Tell me a little bit about kind of your very early childhood and kind of your family life that you were brought into this world with. So my mom is Filipino. My dad is German from the Bronx. I was born in the Bronx and from a very young age, I had a passion for the mixing of culture, for mixing of things. And I started dancing at a very young age. And dance to me was my way of freedom and expression. I started dancing at seven. And my parents were very strict with me at a young age. So I felt like I needed an escape. And that escape for me was dance. And it brought to me a lot of discipline and structure and strength. And I got very serious dancing at the age of 14. And at that age, I begged my parents to drive me to Manhattan to train at Broadway Dance Center, which was the most prestigious dance center in the world at the time. You had all the most famous choreographers and teachers dancing there. And I was 14 and I was obsessed with watching Britney Spears's concerts and Janet Jackson concerts and Bob Fosse. And I really wanted to be a professional dancer. I said, one day I'm going to be on that stage and I want to dance with one of the stars. So 
I researched and found out that all the choreographers taught at Broadway Dance Center and my parents every day after school would drive me to Manhattan. And I got to train at Broadway Dance Center. And I was 14 years old and I was taking all of these adult classes and everyone was much older, much better technique than me. I mean, I was very new to the scene. But I went six days a week for about three years and got really, really good at dance. And then I started auditioning for Broadway shows because I found out through the network that you could audition for a show in Manhattan. So I started... Let me, let me just hop in before you go too far because there's a lot there that's already <laughs> grabbing my attention. So back up. So you you were little and and found dance. Was dance something that that you discovered that your parents got you into? Did you have siblings that were also in dance? Or tell me a little bit about kind of how dance showed up in your life. That's a good question. You're making me remember. So when I was four years old, my parents moved from the Bronx to Jersey, had my little brother, and I was in Jersey and school I was going to had a bunch of, you know, after school activities. And one of the students or the classmates in my class just recommended a local dance school I go to and just start dancing. So that was how I got into dance, just by a friend recommending these after school activities. And and you mentioned that your parents were, I think you said hard on you or or were tough on kind of something about how you were training or, or, or approaching dance at an early age. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I was the oldest. I'm the oldest of three, the only girl coming from a Filipino background and being the firstborn. I think that my parents were quite strict on me, meaning they wanted me to study. They, they didn't want me to veer outside of structure. They wanted to be overly protective to make sure that I had a good childhood and a good education. But inside I was like the rebel. Like I just wanted to, you know, when I was in fourth grade, I started selling sticks of bubble gum illegally under my desk because I wanted money so bad to Mm. buy makeup, which my mom never let me wear. And so Mm. I looked at like, okay, if I sold gum, something that wasn't legal in my school, And everyone came to me. I was making like $20 a day selling 25 cents per stick. And I was like, What was what was your flavor? What was what was hot back then? (laughs) Wrigley's wintergreen and Wrigley's big bread. Yes, yes, two good ones. So this is great. So you you were an entrepreneur. How old were you when you were selling gum? Fourth grade. So what is that? Yes, maybe nine. (laughs) Uh, That's that's awesome. So um Oh, and tell me, so so was money, was it that your mother didn't want you wearing makeup or was money an issue kind of, did, did your parents, uh, how did your parents get together with your mother being Filipino and your father being German? Um, what's, their, what's their story? They met in Fordham College in the Bronx. My mom came over from the Philippines when she was 16 and um, they met in college. And um, my dad studied dentistry and my mom went to business school. Okay. 
So they went to college and, and your, did your dad become a dentist? Was he a dentist yeah. when you were? Yeah. Okay. So that's and, why gum, gum was even more of a rebellious product. <laughs> yes. Really living uh, on the edge there. And, and so, so they just kind of had high expectations for you, you know, kind of maybe knowing their backgrounds and, and their own kind of journeys to having to work hard to accomplish what they wanted. That was a value that they had for their kids. And you being the firstborn, you know, they, they wanted you to really excel. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what did tough look like? Tough? Yeah. I mean, how them being kind of like, you know, demanding on you, what was that? How did that, how did that take shape? This is from my memory as a child. So I hope my mom and my dad still love me. I think tough was being a straight A student, like expecting that I got really great grades, expecting that I was in the top of my class, expecting that I practiced and like was good at my craft, being disciplined with the time I went to bed and that I wasn't really socializing with too many friends, making sure that I was showing up to dance practice, showing up to school and ensuring that I had great education and the proper values in order to fulfill a promising future. And and did you how did you relate to those challenges? Did you did you like the challenge? Did you like kind of the results or or was it kind of going against, you know, what you otherwise wanted to be doing? You know, how how was that experience for you at the time? <laughs> well, I always looked at it as this is what they want me to do. So I'm going to do it and prove to them I can do it. But I always carved out time for myself, like my escape plan. I always said, when I graduate from school, I'm going to have like the best life ever and make my own career and make my own rules. And so at the time, I was just taking these challenges as, a, as okay, give me the challenge. I'll do it. I'll excel. But then on top of that, I was really curious and passionate about my own my own dreams and my own values and what I wanted for life after school. Mm-hmm. And so that leads you then, you're, you're kind of now on this path, the, the dance path. How consuming was that for you? I mean, you know, you're at Broadway dance. Is that, is that like after school, after at mornings, like nights? How, how does that kind of end up weaving its way into your, your life at 14? Well, before school, I made sure to get in extra cardio and stretching. So I would do about an hour or two of dance exercise and stretch before school started. And then after school, it was around three o'clock. I'd be in the city Monday through Friday from three to three to nine. And I was taking about two to three additional classes a day. Those classes range from stretch to ballet to tap to modern to jazz. So it was like, it was a pretty heavy schedule, but I was always in bed by 10 and up at six. And did you have time for social life? I mean, what was, what was kind of like the teenage life like for you? Or was it predominantly your friends were in your dance community? Yeah, my social life was mainly my dance friends um, Mm because I was spending so much time there. In school, I would say I had like two best friends. One played soccer, one did track. 
but I didn't socialize too much, especially in high school. I was really focused on my dance career and and getting really good at the craft. And were you were you with other kids your age, or was it predominantly older dancers? Um, it was predominantly older dancers at Broadway Dance Center in the city, but in my local dance school, there were people around my age. Okay, so at this point, you, what are you thinking? Is the is there a goal in mind? Is there a, is there something that you're trying to accomplish? What is the kind of end um, vision here for you, or are you just kind of going with this one step at a time? Well, I definitely had an end vision, and to add to the story, um, I had a boyfriend in high school, and we broke up after a year of dating, and he got all his friends to make fun of me. So at a very young age, I um, also experience like being bullied in school. Mm -hmm. And so I always told myself that one day I'm going to be the most famous dancer in the world. And none of these people could hurt me or make fun of me because I was going to be the one that was in control. And if I worked hard and was a good person, I could get there. So I definitely had the end vision in mind. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, you're what? This is middle school, seventh, eighth grade when you're starting to get bullied? Uh, this is uh, eighth grade into freshman year of high school. Uh-huh. And tell me more about that. I mean, I think that's a pretty kind of profound experience that, that is is common. And, you know, we do have some younger listeners, you know, this this idea of being bullied and how that, uh, how you process that and how you uh, use that as motivation is probably important in your life and for people to hear. But I'm also yeah. curious about kind of the, the hard part about that too. I mean, sometimes I think we can skip over like, well, it, it ended up being helpful to me, it helped, motivated me, but that's a very hard thing to experience at that age in life or at any, at any age. Yeah. Um, so at the time, like you said, I used it as motivation, but um, if you can imagine being a freshman in high school and having people just being mean in the hallways and being scared to go down the hallways. I ate my lunch in the bathroom stall. I didn't go to the cafeteria. I was really focused on dance and my studies. How I dealt with it was really using that energy as motivation. And at, at a young age, I really connected to my spirit, to my inner strength. And I always had this voice inside of me, which I was lucky to develop at a young age, tell me that everything's going to be okay. Just focus on good energy and your craft and you're going to do well. But it wasn't easy. It, it was just something that I adapted to. I didn't, I didn't really expect to be too social in high school because I was scared of getting bullied or hazed. And I think I was lucky finding dance, which is such an energetic, emotional channel to take your emotions and to take your energy and to channel it into a proper physical release. Um, so I was able to have that at a young age. And the bullying, I'm just curious, especially kind of in light of what's going on in the world today, was that in any relationship to you being Filipino or what was the kind of tactic? Was it, was it dance or, or, or what, what were they, was there any one thing that they were kind of picking on you for? You know, I don't know. I think I blocked out so much of it. Um, what I do remember is that 
I definitely looked different than everyone in my town. So I Mm -hmm. think that that could have definitely been a trigger. I was a very nice, kind person. And I just, I feel like I just blocked out so much of the negative memory, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what the cause of it is. I think anyone that goes through bullying sometimes questions like, why me? Like, what is the, why am I going through this? Like, sometimes you never find out. Um, why? Yeah, well, in in most cases, it's not about you; it's about them and some, right. you know, insecurity or other trauma that's happening in their lives. And often, that can even be generational. And I just was curious, and maybe you know, you, you spoke to it a little bit. Just you know, the idea of looking different in that world in that time, you know, might have been something that uh, people were more commonly, you know, inclined to to pick on. But but that's okay. I mean, in any event, you know, I'm curious now. You um, did use this to serve you. Tell me a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Tell me a little bit about how that made you stronger. You're flexing, so um, <laughs> right. There's there's some strength in there, and then it, it, it ends up being part of this motivation. I mean, and, and you know, I know in my life, I've been able to look back on those um, traumatic events and say like, thank you. You know, you, you know, you you kind of gave me what I needed to to get through it, even though it was harder. It got me here. Um, is that kind of how you feel, feel about that experience? Was that the kind of thing that really was driving you? It was, and even talking about it with you right now, it's just yeah, I was able to take the negative and turn it into a positive. I was able to transmute the energy in a positive way. I think that I was lucky enough to know what to do with the energy because some kids don't. They don't have the ability to partake in after-school activities or be a part of a community that helps them and brings them health. But I was. And so I made sure to take all my time to do the best I could with the assets I was given at a young age. Yeah. And so the combination of kind of that motivation and then, you know, I'm imagining and I'm not sure, but imagining like you now love what you're doing. I mean, there's there's some there's got to be some real like joy in the in the dance. Right. I mean, it's hard work. Your parents were pushing you. There was a lot of, you know, motivation to excel, to, you know, prove people wrong now that had treated you poorly. But but do you do you love what you're doing too? I'm imagining that you love this 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 dance. Totally, it was. Yeah. Do you dance? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> dance is like the best gift in the world. It's a way for one to channel whatever they're going through mentally, emotionally, and physically into a structure. I mean, at that age. I found something that I was in control of. I wasn't in control of my adolescence. I wasn't in control of my finances, all these things. And I was like, this is the thing I can control. I can control my technique, my craft, how I hold my hand, how I listen to music, how music makes me move. And not only that, I had idols that I was looking up to that showed me the level of success that I could like wish for. I had people like Bob Fosse and Britney Spears and Janet Jackson and Martha Graham and all these greats that were able to pave a path for themselves through using dance. And here I was as a, as a kid finding that path for myself. I had so much faith. Dance really gave me a lot of faith. And it was 
also a lot of hard work, but it was really fun. Dance, moving to music is so much fun. So, mm. yeah. Okay, so tell me about how dance gave you faith. You, you had mentioned earlier this kind of voice inside of you and the, the energy of it. And, and, and I'm kind of you know imagining like a, a real spiritual piece coming in a practice of sorts, you know, tell me a little bit more about that voice, that energy, that faith. Well, I think that as a young kid, I was very energetic and I had a lot of energy and sometimes I didn't know what to do with that energy. So dance was the vehicle that allowed me to put my thoughts. Sometimes I would overthink or overanalyze. As a teenager, I had very dramatic emotions. I was overly dramatic. I didn't know what to do with the emotions. I wanted to play characters. I wanted to dress up. I loved makeup. I loved costumes. So that inner voice inside of me, those, those thoughts I had, those feelings, those, all of that energy, I call it energy, was able to be put into a place, into a vehicle that allowed me to express myself. And I think that's the piece that so many adolescents don't have is like the freedom of expression. Now we have more of it through social media and through different technological vehicles. But dance is a way for someone to express themselves, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I don't know how you define spirit, but spirit is something that everyone has and you can feel it and you can feel it inside yourself and you can feel it from another person. And it's something that the mind doesn't control, but it's something bigger. So when I'm dancing, I'm not listening to my thoughts or my feelings. There's another layer that's telling me what to do. Some people call it the blue zone. Some people call it the flow. Athletes describe it when they're in performance, when they're in football, basketball, when they're in live sports. Businessmen explain it when they're negotiating deals or entrepreneurs. And it's just like this energy of... I can't use the word to define the word, but spirit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's your belief system. And I don't disagree with you. I think, you know, it is an interesting connection though, because, you know, I think a lot of times in, in sport and, and maybe, you know, in music and dance, I'm not quite as familiar with dance, but I could understand how People will refer to that as like a flow, a flow state, right? The zone, right? Those, those, you know, that language that you shared. And, and often I think people don't connect that to spirit. They don't see those two things as connected, you know, that that's more of like a, a physical, uh, you know, kind of state, right? That, that you just kind of get in the zone, but, but, I happen to agree with you. I think that is the kind of divine state. Um, and, and you're calling it spirit, which you know, to me feels divine. That is something kind of greater uh, than, than you know, the kind of dimension that we operate in most of the time and thought and worry and doubt and fear and you know, all the other emotions. So, so this spirit, it, 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 tell me a little bit more about kind of how it comes into your life, what the practice is. I believe you're, you're a big meditator, as am I. And, and so tell me a little bit about kind of your, your practice of spirit coming into your life you know, at this stage. And, and what I mean by that is like, 
where we kind of left off. You're you're on this path now as a teenager to a very successful dance career. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that path is unfolding and the role that that spirit is playing in it. So I would say spirit played a huge role in my practice when I'm at the ballet bar with my teachers, my different instructors. It was kind of telling me where to place my hands, how to hold my posture. I was doing a lot of meditation on the alignment of my bones, my blood flow, my internal organs. And so it was this extreme presence that I was feeling not only in the dance movements, but within my own biochemistry and my body. And I developed that at a really young age. So I attribute it to spirit, but like you said, it could have been just this physical state that I was in as well. And then I started to, when I was starting to audition for shows in New York, I brought spirit with me and I was auditioning for this one show called Music Man. I was 15 at the time. I went in 27 times. At the final 27th time that I auditioned, it was the singing part. The casting director got up from the chair with the director and everyone sitting there, walked over to me, took my hands and said, you can't sing. I'm going to bring you to a vocal coach because you cannot sing. And I was like, ah. So I started Mm -hmm. studying singing. And um, again, I brought my spirit with me. In that, it was a really hard thing to learn. I was a dancer. I was using my body. I didn't really use my voice to communicate. So here I was having to use my voice to communicate, but then to hold notes that sounded good. So I think then too, I, I just remembered spirit kind of talking to me and connecting with me the more I sang. And and I'm not sure, you know, the listeners might not be able to see, but you're kind of like physically, like you're bringing spirit with you. Like it's like a, uh, like a backpack almost like coming with you. Right. Yeah. What is that practice? Like, is that like a conversation that you're having? Is it a, is it a, a feeling, you know, tell me a little bit about like when you decide spirits coming with you, what is that practice like? It definitely has to do with prayer. So I pray and I just talk to a higher power saying, this would be an example. If I were 16 mm-hmm. going to an audition, dear God, and to all the listeners, parentheses, higher power, dear God, please bless me with all of the strength and power that I need for today's audition. Please be with me when I'm singing. Please be with me when I'm dancing. Please give me the faith I need to have a really strong audition and book the job. So I'd start with a prayer. And then secondly, it's a feeling. I can feel as a dancer when I'm just clocking in the movements, when I'm just being a technician and just going one, two, three, four, versus feeling it and moving with my spirit, it all of a sudden becomes one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. And if you can connect it or compare it to watching a concert or a live action sports game, yes, they're in a physical state of being, but I look at that as like, wow, it's like that feeling, those chills you feel over your body. Mm -hmm. And what was that like hearing you can't sing? I mean, 27 auditions. I don't know if that's like normal or not. It sounds excruciating. And then to be told after the 27th audition, you're obviously like getting to the end, you know? <laughs> and then they, you can't sing. I mean, that's that's like kind of a tough pill to, 
to swallow. Did you, did you agree? Was that hard to hear? Like, what was that like? Well, I knew from how much time and practice I put into dancing, I knew that that time and practice was lacking in singing. I mean, my audition song was Everything is Coming Up Roses from the song Beaches. And I just did a really good imitation of Bette Midler singing like really loud and like, <laughs> so I, I, I believed it. I knew that it takes practice and time and hard work to get really good at something. So my dance was there, but my singing wasn't. But hearing it in front of other people was like super embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And like, I felt so like embarrassed because I wanted to be so good. And then the second part to that is at least I had an answer as to why I wasn't booking it. He gave me a clear answer and it wasn't just anybody's opinion. It was a casting director who's in charge of putting people in Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. So I had my answer and then he connected me to a vocal coach named Michael Danziger, who I started studying with. And did you believe, it's an interesting thing, I actually was just doing some research on this. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that, you know, depending on kind of how old you are, these, like, I'm not good at math, I can't sing, I can't paint, right? This, these kind of things that we hear, um, a lot of times will really um, be taken on as, as true, as fact, and actually really shape the trajectory of people's lives. They, they believe, oh, I'm not good with numbers. So they like, don't go into an entire world, <laughs> right? Just because somewhere along the line, somebody told them that or they, you know, um, uh, kind of attached to that story. It sounds to me like, like you've got some sort of motive. You use it all as like motivation. You're like, okay, you're right. I got the answer. I'm going to become a singer you know, which is like not something that I think most people figure that they can do. You know, they just assume, oh, I don't have a good voice or yeah. I, you know, I'm not a good singer. You were like, I'm not a good singer. This guy's the right guy to be telling me I'm going to become one. Like, tell me a little bit about like how your mind's working in that way that you have that kind of clarity or strength just that you can work at it and, and, and become a good singer. I don't know where that comes from. I wish someone would tell me as an adult that I can't do something so I can motivate myself to do more. It's not going to be me. I'm, not, I'm too scared to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that when someone told me I couldn't do something, I just wanted to prove them wrong. It was like when someone told me something's not possible, I wanted to show that something was possible. I think it was like the entrepreneur inside of me to show what could be, what is possible, just because something has never been done doesn't mean it's not possible. Um, that motivation came from, I guess, spirit. I really don't know. It was just this innate thing inside of me. Like I could feel it in my guts. I could feel it in my chest. And it wasn't the first time that someone told me I couldn't do something. So it was kind of the thing I followed as my way, like follow the resistance or the resistance is the way kind of thing. Okay. All right. So, so, so it's just kind of who you are, um, you know, for one reason or other, and maybe, you know, it really is that there's this universal energy flow. You know, I like to believe there's this, you know, intelligence that's greater than we can comprehend. That's always at work. But one thing is leading to you to the next and, 
and you're just continuing on this path no matter kind of what the obstacles. So you end up um, working with the vocal coach who teaches you to sing? Yes. He (laughs) taught me how to sing. Um, And then after one year of coaching, I went into a Broadway audition for 42nd Street, which is a tap show. And I got the job. Great. That's great. So you're how old when you're uh, on uh, now your Broadway, right? 42nd Street. Yeah. 17 years old. And it was the first national tour of 42nd Street. Wow. That is amazing. So you're now on tour, traveling around the country. And what was that like? I mean, this is, this is the dream. (laughs) I had my own money. I was dancing. I was wearing makeup. I was putting on costumes. I was free. I was with people um, like-minded other people in the chorus. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. We got to stay at the best hotels and travel mm. the world and eat the best food and have fun. Mm. And yeah, you're right. I achieved my dream. So I was just on this high and felt like, yeah, anything's possible. I can do it. Wow. You've come a long way from slinging bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tell me, where, where do you go from there? You continue to dance and, and be on Broadway in theater. Um, I know that you also uh, were in Bombay Dreams, Wicked. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you're continuing to move through the Broadway experience. Well, I wanted to try other shows, other styles. I auditioned for Bombay Dreams, which is a Bollywood show with A.R. Rahman and I was the assistant choreographer and also a dance captain in swing. So I was learning all the people's parts and that gave me another skill to learn how to jump into a show if someone got sick. So at 7.30 PM when we were at our call time, and this is on Broadway in New York at the Broadway theater, if a girl called out, I would have maybe 20, 25 minutes notice to jump in, know her full two and a half hour track of the show and not mess up because all of my moves affect all of the 30 other people's moves in the show. So it definitely was a a brain exercise for me and I liked it. And then after that, the show closed. Andrew Lloyd Webber, remembered Mm. his name. Oh, that's a big um, one, yeah. (laughs) Then I did Wicked and Wicked was an awesome show with Joe Mantello and Wayne Salento. And I was in the chorus, I was a dancer and singer. And that was the first national tour as well. So I started traveling again. And I was, I turned 21 in that show. Mm-hmm. And, and so at, at what point do you decide to kind of bring back your, your early bubblegum entrepreneur days and, and start to take dance off Broadway and into kind of the um, business world? I, I mean, I know you've, worked on projects with Madonna and other celebrities, you know, did you kind of decide at some point that you want to pivot off, off Broadway and, and get into something different and, and, and how and why did you make that choice? I think my, my need for curiosity and to learn was definitely a huge thing for me. So after Wicked, I ended up going to Michael Howard Conservatory for two years, which is a school for actors. 
but they specialize in movement for actors. And that's where I learned Alexander Technique, Feldenkrais, Chakra Work, Cranial Sacral, um, Lucid Movement, all of these different techniques to help the anatomy of the body. And I started to develop my own training system. At the time, I was cater waitering and a hostess at Mr. Chow's in Tribeca. And the bubblegum moments were making contacts with a lot of the VIPs and the regulars and taking care of the front of house. Like I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved mm-hmm. making people feel welcome and warm, remembering their names. And then I started to train dancers in the community that knew me through work. I started to do more commercial work. And then um, I was introduced to Madonna and Stella McCartney and all of these amazing artists through dance. And I was given the opportunity to train them. And it was so nerve wracking and so scary. I was 23 and like never felt energy like that before from like these types of women. They were just really on top of it and very alpha, knew what they wanted. It definitely was not musical theater. It was something I had to just learn, learn the ropes. Mm -hmm. And I trained Madonna for five years, two hours a day, six days a week. I was also in charge of her two tours. So I figured out a way to put gyms in all of these five-star hotels around the world, 90 cities in 90 days. We flew private jets. We stayed at the best hotels in the world. I mean. I was so like, I was exposed to a world at a really young age that I was like, okay, here's another goal. Okay. In 10 years, like I want to go here. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that time in my life, I wasn't really focused on money at the time. I was focused on having my shit together and making these women feel and look good and making sure I was on time and practicing and giving them something new every single day. Mm-hmm. And I worked with so many different types of people. That's the beauty of working with artists is that um, they understand my language. So dancers, actors, I had um, Rachel Weiss and Jennifer Connolly, who are these amazing, incredible actresses working with me. I had Spike Jones, who's an incredible director, Stephen yeah, yeah. Klein, amazing photographer, Kate Hudson. So all of these people, I loved working with them because they spoke the language of artists. They understood Mm -hmm. the kind of um, method. NW method is what I was teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the money kind of just took care of itself. My business grew organically. Um, I kind of wish at the time, I mean, I was 23 when I started and did the private training for six years. So I was 29. I kind of wish I had a business mentor kind of helping me with stuff because I was in the thick of like, wow, like Hollywood and Mm -hmm. all the greats wanted to work with me, but I was kind of navigating it by myself and spirit was with me, but business spirit wasn't with me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you, you probably were learning what you needed to learn, even if in hindsight, you know, you wished you had known what you, you know now. Um, but, but I mean, what an incredible experience really to be kind of having to figure things out, to be traveling around the world. I mean, the joy and the fun and the energy and excitement of being with somebody as, as renowned as Madonna and Spike Jones and you know Stella McCartney and, and the names are, are on and on and on. You know, 
going around the world um, at that pace with that energy had to be really invigorating. Um, and and you know, good for you to be able to at least like do it successfully without the potential distractions and and you know uh, other you know kind of paths that that you can slide into in that world. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm still kind of thinking about Mr. Chow since you mentioned it. <laughs> I, I I I I can't lie. Made me hungry and 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 yet like I was amazed that like you um, were figuring out how to use that experience to really connect dots for you too. I mean, sometimes you know, sticking with the spirit, like spirit comes to you at Mr. Chow. You know, I mean, right? Like, like you you made connections. One thing led to the next, and there you were, like on the road with Madonna, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm still looking for Mr. Chow's email because he would call every night and say, hello, Nicole, what do we do tonight? Remember, Uh even though we don't have seat, you always tell everybody we have a seat. (laughs) And I just want, I want to connect with him again, just to tell him my story because I learned a lot at Mr. Chow's and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm sure You, you should do that. Okay. So I'm also really fascinated NW method, which is what you were teaching, and kind of this idea of the energy, the the kind of the wellness formula using the chakra. You know, you're you're bringing a an, another kind of spiritual, energetic, you know, wellness component into your practice. And so, talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to. Kind of bring those things together. Oftentimes, I think people think that like a spiritual practice and a work practice, or you know, these things that maybe are helping us in life, but don't necessarily connect to our work. You're bringing it all together, and maybe that's that like creative artist, you know, the the kind of mindset that that you know comes with that. I can relate to that. I also really like being around people that think like that. It's very um, opening and, and energizing. But I, I'm curious kind of like how you connected those dots. Was that just like a, a, a natural thing for you? Or, or talk a little bit about the method and how that's uh, serving you. Yeah, I first started out solving problems. Um, through working with these people, I was introduced to the top cranial sacral doctors, physical therapists, neuroscientists, nutritionists in the world. And um, I just wanted to do my job and have answers when they would ask me questions. My clients asked me a lot of questions. They also had a lot of problems they wanted me to solve from raising their energy to focus, to mental clarity, to be, and they all wanted to be great. They wanted to be a better CEO, better mother, better father. Um, dealing with life stress. So I, I asked myself the question and I think creation comes from asking really great questions. I asked myself, what can I do in an hour's worth of time that's going to get me the results that will give them the best mental state, emotional state, health state? And through answering those questions and researching and working with other experts, I developed NW Method. And I wanted to... I know that time was always the most valuable resource for all of these people. 
And so I said, I wanted to give them and deliver them something in the shortest amount of time possible that's going to optimize their health. And how do I do that in an entertaining way? And how do I do that in a fun way, in a modern way? And that's how NW Method was born. So it started through solving problems and asking the right questions. Yeah. And, and so talk to me a little bit about kind of where you are now. Um, I know you've got an app. You've been active through the pandemic, finding other outlets to bring the method to people, to the world. You know, this is a very, very unique time in our lives for a lot of reasons. Talk to me a little bit about kind of what you're doing now and, you know, kind of what's going on. Um, you know, you're, you're in New York. I mean, it's, it's been a wild time in our lives. Um, talk to me a little bit about where you are today. Yeah. Um, so last year in 2019, I started working on a business plan to um, scale physical studios. And I was working on that. I had done a pilot for three years. I had 10 trainers working for me. I was doing 30 classes a week. I was generating like awesome revenue and it was scaling. And then 2019, I was like, I want to build studios. I want to franchise. I want to scale even further. Then COVID hit and I was like, WTF okay, this is not going to work. What do I do now? And that's when I completely pivoted my business to digital. I started doing challenges on Instagram. Um, I grew my subscription base. So I have an app called NW Church. And that's where all of the workouts from NW Method can be found. And I started um, promoting that. And I guess I'm back to the place of selling bubble gum under my desk. Like digital is so different. Digital is so new. Thankfully, I love the camera and I love performing. So that's fun. But I'm figuring out how do I scale this app? How do I scale this thing? How do I get in more people's hands? How do, how do they experience the NW method when there's so much noise? There's so much like competition. So what I've been working on is my, my product, my content. I'm focused on delivering new content almost daily. I'm focused on talking to as many people as I can and learning as much as I can from the digital space. And so is that kind of now in, indefinitely or do you still think you'll go back to the kind of vision of, of the brick and mortar uh, scaling the physical space? I have a feeling that within... 10 years, I'm definitely going to have like physical expansion somewhere, somehow. But right now, my spirit, quote unquote, is telling me to focus on digital for the time being. Um, and that the connecting places, just like Mr. Chow's, like I'll meet the right people that are going to guide me along the way. I know it's really important as an entrepreneur to have a plan, something to follow. So I do have a loose like five-year plan. But I'm also really flexible and fluid and going with the time to make sure that I'm being open to possibility because I feel like so much new technology is being created in this time. Like so much newness is being created and I want to be a part of the newness. So I'm open to it. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think that your spirit has served you really well <laughs> all along and you know, you've got great instincts and guidance and so far, it's, it's 
led you to some amazing paths. And there's no doubt that will continue to unfold perfectly and as it's meant to be. So thank you for sharing that and your story. I know we're running out of time here, but any other kind of final thoughts, anything that you want the audience to hear, certainly share where they can find you. Sure. I wanted to tell all the listeners that every day is a learning process and every day we're all figuring it out. So keep faith and keep working hard. And you can find me on Instagram at Nicole Winhofer. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-W-I-N-H-O-F-F-E-R. And you could find my app and W Church in the Apple Store. And it's also available for Android. So please support me and please have faith and please keep working hard. That's great. Great, great, great. Final thoughts. I really appreciate it. Nicole, it's awesome having you. Thanks so much for being here and sharing your story with us. Thanks so much, Brett. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.